What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Well, everyone's got a story. You know, that's what we do here at Second Print Comics. We tell stories or we tell stories about stories. We tell stories about us reading stories, which are, in fact, stories. Does what I'm saying make sense? I don't know. But the point is today we're going to hear a story, an origin story, the origin story of uh, one of perhaps our very first fan, but definitely one of our first fans, uh, our friend Eric. We'll bring him in in just a second. But first, I got to bring in my partner in comic book crime, Remzo. I'm going to put I'm going to put it back again. W. Martinez. W. Damn, as I dub you got to steal that shit back from George Bush. He brought us middle W name people back a hundred years. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. It's a One struggle. Day. But uh, Aremzo, what's happening this week? Uh, it's, I feel like I'm caught in a time loop, uh, but because we took some time off, we are in a little bit of a time loop in that we are catching up on all the Patreon produced episodes that we had in the bank uh, from our Kirby club level patrons. I believe after this one with Eric here today, we're going to be caught up. It's been, a, it's been a hell of a journey. And then we get to go back to actually producing our, our own episodes. So that's exciting. You know, it's just like Thanos once he got that reality stone and he's just like, reality can be anything I want it to be. There you go. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's all over the place, but you know, it's, it's fun. I finally feel that after it's now, it's now March, end of March, after three months of finally really jumping into things, we've been putting out some banger freaking episodes. People love the new SPC reissued and the pop formats. People love the Patreon content coming out. We've got an awesome Facebook community. Uh, people have really been digging the random comic panels that just bring a little glimmer of joy in their lives as we look at just some random shit while we're doom scrolling on the shitter like we all do. It's not just me. It's, uh, you know, I feel like we finally got our groove back, baby. I feel like it's I feel like it's happening. I do feel like we're uh, what's the phrase? Turning on all wheels. That's not a phrase, is it? No. Rolling on all cylinders. Something like that. Shooting in all pistons. My memory cells are fading every day. Uh, But nonetheless, we are back with another Kirby Club produced episode. And it wouldn't be a Kirby Club produced episode without a Kirby Club producer. So I will now bring in the man. He wasn't a man at the time. He was just a boy who who first introduced me to comics. But he's a man now. Darn it. Eric, what's up, buddy? Shazam! Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me again. Hey, Remzo. What's up? Well, I guess we, uh, I'll do a two-second recap. Eric first introduced me to comics. I think he was uh, probably we're sitting at the lunch table talking wrestling or something, and then I'm pretty sure it was I saw some crazy like Spider-Man or Carnage comic. That story has been told on this show several times, so we don't need to go all the way into detail. But what I would like you to go into detail on, Eric, even though I do think you have actually told this one at some point as well, maybe as a Patreon show, I don't know. But sure. The, the comics we're going to be talking about today are actually your very first comics, so we're actually going to get a little bit of your comic book origin story here as well. Yeah, so I think it's been pretty well told that my favorite comic book uh, as a child was the Uncanny X-Men. And the story arc that we're going to be covering today are the very first Uncanny X-Men books that I ever read. I believe it is Uncanny X-Men 232 through 234, which is a fantastic story with the brood. The brood. Now, uh, this is the kind of thing I would normally go to Remzo for, but since you're here, Eric... What can you tell me about the brood? <laughs> and then this is not to be confused with the uh, early 2000s, late 90s pro wrestling trio consisting of Edge, Christian and Gangrel. Uh, no, We're not at all. Awesome. Yes, Unfortunately, that would be a hell of a crossover, though. I would totally pay for uh, Wolverine versus Gangrel, but that's a whole other thing. Unfortunately, Disney has not bought WWE yet. We're, so we we're quickly losing the non-wrestling fans. Yes. <laughs> that is right. Yeah. So. The Brood, uh, which debuted in Uncanny X-Men 155. Ooh, this guy's coming with facts. I am coming with facts. You're more prepared than Remzo and I have ever been for an episode. Ever. (laughs) I have have, have handwritten notes, and I expected said question. Um, (laughs) I feel like he put too much. Can you tell me the rest of the questions you expected? Because I didn't have any more, (laughs) so that would really help me. Um, Yeah, I I will. If if you ask it, I'll I'll let you know. Okay. Fair enough. But these are a um, this is actually a uh, race of aliens um, that are, in fact, based off the the uh, aliens from the movies. 
Yeah, they look um, exactly and, like those aliens. Like not even they're not even coy about it really. Uh they're brown instead of black, so there's a little bit of a difference. Uh not too much. Uh, but these uh aliens uh do have the ability of uh infusing with their host body so they can take over the person that they're infecting. Well that's just that's just no fun, but it is uh, fantastic. Eric, how did you first stumble upon these particular comics? What what caused you to, uh, to even open those pages in the first place? Yeah, so these particular books were one of the first ones that were in that box of comics that I found mm. in my cousin's uh, garage. Um, so when I was sorting through them, you know how I've mentioned I really like the covers. These are the first covers that I saw that I was like, wow, what what are these books? And yes, I'm going to open these and start reading these right away. Had you seen the alien movies at that point? Did, did, did that connection stand out? I don't, no, I don't. I don't think so. I think I was probably 11 or 12 at the time, and I certainly I had seen them by see. then. <laughs> I guess uh, my parents were a little looser on that stuff. I think your parents were a little bit more liberal on the, uh, which is surprising because they're very conservative people. But I, I remember watching every freaking horror, scary movie that that ever existed without without issue. Maybe it's because in the first Alien, nothing happens which for the first three that. quarters of the movie. Remzo, um, do we really have to have an an a great alien debate now i will say alien has one of the best sequels of all time aliens is is, is one of the better sequels that have ever oh, been by made. Far. i'm gonna make by another far. case while we're doing tangents uh, i said the other night that the best the best third part of a trilogy of all time in my personal opinion is back to the rocky three. three rocky three rocky three rocky the rocky to the future three <laughs> Hey, oh, hey, Wadi, we got to go back in time. Your, your kids are dickheads. Um, was it Tony? That was the more of a Tony Danza, I think. It was, um, it was there. Back to the Future 3. But Rocky 3 is very good. It's a good candidate. It's one to consider. But Back to the Future 3. First of all, you got time travel. Okay, that's already awesome. We already love the Back to the Future movies. And you also have an awesome Western in the same movie. I think it's actually my favorite Back to the Future movie. You like the one with the hoverboards? I like all of them, but I, yeah. I like the Western as well. Anyway, you have no opinion on this, Eric? I, I have never seen Back to the Future Part Three. Oh, suddenly something oh that I've seen Get that somebody here. else has Get out of the show. You're not allowed in here with that. Go watch, go watch all Back to the Future movies. Now. How does it feel? That's incredible. Have you seen the original Back to the Futures? Yes, I've seen. The, I've seen number one many times. And not I probably two? saw number. I probably saw Back to the Future two, two or three times. Do yourself a favor. One day when it's raining out in their Connecticut, or maybe you're snowed in, and you and the lady just want to hang out and sip some wine all day long, watch the trilogy. Do the whole thing for me. There's that no thing incest, right. and, and in return, I, can, I will I finally review the Warrior comics. I can do that. Oh wow, <laughs> wow! And then we'll I'm, do a, and then we'll do a review of the Back to the Future movies on the show. But anyway, we're getting sidetracked as as we often do here uh, at SBC. But we are going to now dive into. These uncanny X-Men issues is very exciting stuff. Uh, so I'll do my best to guide us through with a little help from my memory, some hastily taken notes and my wife's iPad. That's how I finally solved my I can't read Marvel Unlimited anywhere. Marvel Unlimited. Let me tell you this right now. It doesn't work on Amazon Fires. I learned that after I bought an Amazon Amazon Fire, assuming it would work because Netflix works like video streaming apps work. No, still didn't work. So finally, I just remembered that I bought my wife an iPad, which means I bought myself an iPad. Does it not just download? No, it's not even it doesn't exist for fire. Like it doesn't work for fire. It's it's not designed to work with it. Ouch. Between that and the removal of the random Marvel Comics button, I'm about fed up with it. But otherwise, you know, and on the flip side, I spent like, uh, you know, three hours reading John Byrne Fantastic Four comics the other day. And so and it was a seamless experience. So, yeah, what are you going to do? It's a good app. I'm not going to lie, but they pissed me off anyway. Thanks to the Marvel Unlimited app. MarvelUnlimited.com, you can now read these along with us if you so like. So this is Uncanny X-Men number 232 written by. Chris Claremont, drawn by who, Eric? It's your next question. Mark Silvestri. Mark Silvestri. Dan Green. That's correct. So this is a who would eventually go on to become one of the. Was he one of the? He was one of the Image founders, right? Or did he come on afterwards? He did Darkness. He he definitely left for Image. Yeah, but he he was not one of the six founders. He came on afterwards and did Darkness. I'm pretty sure he was he was one of the six. Oh boy, this is where we display our ignorance. Anyway, moving in. This story is called Earthfall, and we start off. As we often see in the 80s and 90s, a group of gosh darn no good degenerate teenagers parting in the woods when what happens, seemingly an asteroid or something crashes to Earth. Uh, But these kids run over to it. And lo and behold, it is not a normal asteroid. Uh, It appears to be a giant shark. (laughs) What? 
Uh, Eric, what, what do you, I, I know you don't probably actually remember the experience of reading this, but try to channel your whatever year old self, eight, nine, ten year old self here. What the hell do you think you would have been thinking seeing a shark land in the middle of the woods at the start of this this X Men comic? The hell is this? Probably what I thought the other day when I was rereading this. This is probably the greatest comic book thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it's not even a regular shark. It's like a giant. I honestly, through the end of this, I I still don't really understand what happened here. Did did a brood land and infest, a sh- or did the shark just? Where did the shark come from? Obviously, it's, it's, it's a Sharknado. It's really, really confusing to me because for a second I thought maybe a brood had infected a shark, but then why would it be coming from the sky? It seems like the brood came from the sky. Sharknado. I, I never understood it, and I don't believe they ever explained it. Uh, but there, there is seemingly is a brood inside this thing. So they're investigating. Um, these other cops are investigating this uh, this giant shark from the sky when this one cop who we will later learn's name is Harry. Harry Palmer, I believe is his name. Uh, he is immediately eaten by a brown version of what is clearly the alien from Ridley Scott's Aliens movies, as Eric referenced. Um, eats a bunch of the officers. And then we kind of see um, this guy being approached um, sort of from his point of view or from the third-person point of view um, with by this other lady screaming, help me, before we cut scene to Alex and uh, Lorna who is known as Polaris. Let's see. Remzo, what can you tell me about Polaris? Pop quiz, hot shot. Polaris is the third child of Magneto. Much like her dastardly father, she can go ahead and control magnetism in a way that's somewhat different. She can go ahead and project fields. She can go ahead and shoot magnetic bolts, similar to her sister, Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch. She would later go on to join the team X-Factor under the leadership of um, uh, Havoc, who was Scott Summer Cyclops brother. And uh, she teeters between being a villain and a hero on the X-Men. Indeed. So we then cut to, uh, well, yeah, it's, it's Harry who is these, this now brood infected uh, cop is almost ran off the road or almost runs off the road. Alex and Lorna, who are just kind of passing, passing them by, which really has nothing to do with the story. It's just like kind of showing them randomly interacting on the road before this other stuff goes down. Uh, we then go to Denver, Colorado, which is where uh, Harry officer Harry is uh, from. And they're investigating what, what we'll later figure out was like a mutant. It's this guy that was kind of like, it seems like he was breathing fire. There's like fire coming out of him. And, but it seems like it was like a power kind of out of his control. When we see when the other officers aren't looking, uh, officer Harry takes out his little brood claw and shoves it into this guy's chest. Um, so whether you put it together now or you put it together later, he is infecting as the brood do. He is infecting another person quote unquote uh with another brood egg ramzo what, what do you think about the brood overall what's the difference between the brown brood and the black brood there's is there a black brood in this no i'm just genuinely the curious. black brood is the alien from ridley scott and the brown brood is in the x-men that's the difference oh i thought it had something to do with we're not like the other brood no it's nothing like that okay. one of them's real one of them's not all right i don't okay. care about your I thoughts read on the too brood. far into it here's what i really want your thoughts on on where we go next, the we claw go is pretty phallic. We go. It's very being phallic, honest. It's just kind of. Eh, it's like a you know maybe it's like a Lion King uh, penis in the clouds kind of thing. You know, it's give it's 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 very. You know, let's move on. Speaking of phallic, we move on to see X Men <laughs> X Men friend Gateway. You know, he's not phallic. He does well. He just carry a staff sometimes though. Who is a, a little Aboriginal man? In uh, frankly, across these three issues, we will keep going to this. This is like every scene with Madeline Pryor here is is super trippy and weird. So just recall that throughout all these recaps. Hmm, who should I toss this to? This is a complicated one. I'm gonna give this one to Eric. Eric, what can you tell me about Madeline Pryor? Oh, Madeline Pryor. Tough one. There's a there's a lot here. There's a lot to unpack. I'll tell you what I know. Uh, she is a clone of Jean Grey. Uh, she was cloned uh, by, I believe, Mister Sinister uh, back in like Uncanny X Men one sixty five, um, and she has been the center point of many stories. Uh, she did actually marry uh, Cyclops um, because Cyclops is horny. Uh, Big time simp for Jean Grey and only married her because she looks like Jean Grey. Had a kid with her and she freaked out and became the Goblin Queen. What did I miss oh. out on, Ramzo? The son is none other than my favorite mutant, Cable. But, but wait a minute, Ramzo. Isn't Cable old? Well, Cable 
and uh, an X Factor went ahead and got infected by Apocalypse with the techno organic virus. So Madeline Pryor and Scott Summers agreed to allow Rachel Summers, Marvel Girl, to go ahead and take him to the future. Who is also actually, the daughter of Scott and Jean from the future? Which is, is a correct? weird, well, it, ipso facto, just, it, just accept it. So basically, Madeline <laughs> Pryor comics. takes him into the future where they can go ahead and not cure his techno organic virus completely, but manage it so he can grow up and live a somewhat normal life in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. All right. Well, that's a, that's a hell of a tale. It's a hell of a life story. I'll tell you that. It's a mess. It's going to make Madeline Pryor is really into black leather and lace. Which, which sadly we don't see much of in this, but that's no. neither here nor there. We don't need to go down into our, uh, you know, dig deep into our personal. Uh, she would totally have a hashtag Goblin Queen OnlyFans if it were today. Uh, yeah, so, you get some demons. Yeah. So where does the crossover between the Phoenix and the Madeline Pryor stuff? Does that ever cross over? Because I thought there was something where like Dark Phoenix was really Madeline Pryor or something like that. Or am I am I mixing up stories that aren't actually related? You, you have it uh, every so often in in which you have Madeline Pryor face Jean Grey. I think the last time you really had that happen was an uncanny X-Men. And I think 2011, uh, this is during the San Francisco era in which she came back with like a whole bunch of female villains to fight them and shit. And it, it didn't work out. It was is she still dumb. a character, an active character. Well, she, well, it's weird is they brought her back and she's teamed up with uh, Ben Riley, who's now a, <laughs> bad guy again who's going by the name chasm in amazing spider-man and it's dumb as fuck so yeah she's back are they using her well no because they don't know how to use characters anymore on the next clone couples counseling all right moving along here and uh so yeah we go into this trippy scene where it's it's kind of confusing what's going on here because Gateway's opening a gate for her to go from wherever she is, like buying groceries to wherever she is here on the Outback. But then she's also staying in this weird facility. Um, now, maybe it would help if I had read all the issues prior to this. Uh, Eric, do you know the context of, of why she is in this place? Because it's really just teased throughout this particular story and then it's teased for Apple's I do. story. Okay. A whole, a whole bunch of issues ago. This. A whole bunch of issues prior to this, the X-Men died. Um, of course and then were. when they and then when they came back, they fought the Reavers in uh, Australia. They beat the Reavers. They took over this particular base, and now they're in here. And as part of taking over this base, they also freed Gateway, who is the slave to the Reavers, and allowed the Reavers. To Why is he got to be a slave just because he's black? Whoa, 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 whoa! He's an aborigine. Uh, he's an aborigine. Okay. Yeah. Aboriginal. Okay. Well, that's. I guess that makes it okay. No. Um, it does not. No. <laughs> the Reavers are like the cyborg. Uh, mercenaries, right? They were in Logan, yeah. Yeah. And they know she's a clone now, right? Mm, I don't. Or they think at, she's at Jean this, Grey. At this point, they well, they know that she's not Jean Grey. They think, because of comics, that she's just a completely different person who happens to look <laughs> like their dead friend. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think that big reveal's come yet. Um, Scott recently left her, too. Oh, no. because Jean is back. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, as soon as like he gets her pregnant, they're married, they're living in Alaska. As soon as he finds out that Gene is back, he's just like, bye, family. And, you know, like many families, he goes off for a carton of cigarettes and doesn't return. No, he takes the kid. Oh, he takes the kid? Yeah. Damn. Bye, Madeline. <laughs> well, they kind of go through this a little bit in her in her like trippy, trippy flashback flashback flash forward here she they show her like in this one she's just kind of doodling around she draws like star symbol here or not star dazzler symbol she's just doodling uh drinking some juice or a beer or whatever she's drinking when she sees on the news or does she because we figure out she's just kind of like tripping balls here she sees uh scott summer's cyclops with gene gray and she's like well that that's me beside him oh wait no it's marvel girl gene gray the woman he loved before he married me and she just kind of like smashes this screen so it's it's not clear like at first i thought she was just seeing them but it becomes more clear throughout the next issues that she's just like completely psychotically losing her mind alone in this facility. So, so she, they leave her, do they think, do they think she's a regular person? So they leave her behind in this facility while they're out doing X-Men stuff. Cause in the beginning they showed they're each off. Most of the X-Men are off doing various things. Some of them are fighting juggernaut. Some of them are doing other stuff. So she, and she just gets left behind. I guess so. Or her, or her superpower shopping. I'm not sure which. Well, that's a, yeah, that's a superpower. So he took busy. the child, but left the credit card. Got it. 
All right. Well, she's anyway, she's getting drunk when we go back to Denver to see uh, Harry, uh, who who seems like he is like a, at times is. No, he is actually the brood. Yes, uh, he is the brood. Harry here. And he comes into his own apartment when he is confronted by uh, Psylocke and Colossus. And he immediately starts just kicking their butts because he's not just a Harry. He is a brood Harry. Uh, so he kicks their asses. And um, let's see what else happens here. Um, yeah, that is a, it's a pretty long uh, extended uh, fight scene. Just this one brood uh, is able to pretty much fend off all the X-Men who and the ones that start showing up. Besides this, we have Havoc. Uh, we have Dazzler. Uh, I think my favorite and by favorite i mean like the dumbest x-men that's ever exists i'm not sure if he's in this issue or he comes in a little bit yeah he's in this issue he's right here is long shot who wants to tell me long shot's power do you even this, know this, have you figured this, it out i just read it's so dumb i just read long shot one through six. Oh my god you read a series <laughs> yes yeah, it's his uh Did someone pay story. you to do a podcast about it because that's the only reason oh it's read that. it's because my uh one of my favorite villains mojo um is debuted in in long shot number three um anyway so his secret power is uh is luck and that's it and he just like points he just like points aims at someone and does the long shot and if he hits them just right it'll like change their luck so that something better happens to them basically kind of he just gets into lucky situations can he just use that on himself and just buy a lotto ticket and then not do all this stuff <laughs> just bang dazzler or whatever can, can i say for the record that this wolverine costume is actually my favorite uh it's the uh it, it's the tan classic costume yeah. he actually wore when they were fighting the the shiar empire he got brainwashed into being a more feral version of himself and when he came back to earth he basically um had a i think he had forged basically update it and make it less alieny and that's how he got the tan version of his classic yellow spandex and i always thought like you know everyone is like oh we want to see like yellow and blue wolverine in the movie one in the movies one day now i would kill to see yellow them and brown, you know, throw him in the yellow and brown yeah. the tan suit definitely the yellow and brown is the way to go uh the, tell me if, if i'm missing something or if this scene makes no sense at all so they figure out he's a brood and but harry runs away wolverine is is on the scent of him and he's running like through downtown denver tries to hail a taxi couldn't get a taxi and then he, he like jumps in front of this bus and stops the bus and gets on the bus and then who is already sitting on the bus but rogue can someone explain this to me? She just happens to be on this bus just in case this hairy guy stopped this particular bus and she was waiting there to to jump him afterwards. Is it me? Did I miss something here, anybody? I wrote down because comics. Okay. I'm well, still getting over her hair. That's that is an explanation. Is that a mullet? And the she's yeah. she's like Tulsi Gabbard times a million with the all the huge white patch in the middle of her head. That is that is some incredible skunky eighties hair. Yeah. And I'm very, and I'm very impressed. So uh, this fight just ensues again now on the bus. Uh, I could definitely see this translating as like a, an action scene in the movie here because it just it just picks right up again. And uh, Harry, Brood Harry is going at it with Rogue when who pulls Brood Harry out of the bus? It is, of course, Wolverine, who is uh, not fucking around. He's ready to kill this guy because he's he's Wolverine and he's pretty much always ready. Uh, Harry runs away, but eventually he comes upon the cops the fellow cops and you know he actually is a cop uh so he you know he's just kind of uses the cops as a shield uh, as the x-men uh continue uh to run after him uh then they basically chase him down into this alley where they're confronted by a whole bunch of brood he is not alone so uh Let's go around the room here. Class, what are just uh, your general impressions? Um, you know, you, you can give me, Eric, you want your eight-year-old impression or or I'm, I'm what what's your sort of a adult impression, I guess, uh, looking back on this? It's a little crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> as as is anything with uh, the X-Men and their space adventures, even though this one happened. They are, they Earth. deal, for mutants, they deal with a lot of space. They, they a have a of lot space of space stuff. adventures. I mean, my my one thing is I'm wondering what happened to the giant shark. I, I don't. Just I still don't understand. Yeah, but what happened to it? Is it is it still on the Rocky Mountains? I mean, what's going on? So, like, did a brood fall from the sky and jump into and infect a shark, and then also that shark flew out of the ocean up back up into the sky and then down into this campsite? 
Because this is in Denver, this is in Colorado. There shouldn't be a shark anywhere anywhere near this. Yeah. And this is never addressed in any way, as far as I can tell in the story. We're just supposed to accept that for some reason there was a brood falling from the sky and a shark. And, yep. and what I love would it. you rather <laughs> have because it's fall ridiculous. out of the sky? Nothing. Like, I, this is exactly what I want in this book. Just like the leprechauns, it doesn't come up ever again. <laughs> <laughs> we see as we go over to X-Men uh, uh, 233. Oh, can, can we point out that Wolverine, yeah. like, kills a cop he kills a cop oh yeah, yeah. he kills a cop are we just gonna we i was gonna, gonna ignore that <laughs> i was gonna ignore that actually yeah. yeah he kills a cop this is this is yeah actually in the I, 80s. I should read my notes better because i looked at my notes and in capital letters it says wolverine just goes after him and kills a cop <laughs> yeah oh, i, I want to emphasize but it's a brood this. cop so yeah, that's, right. that's the clincher it's a brood and he cop. knew it was brood cop because he's wolverine and he can sniff the brood so it's okay yeah, no, I, I just want to point out, like, other than the Punisher, especially in the 80s, you have Wolverine actually really, really stacking up a body count. And even though they yeah. justify it by saying it's a brood cop, uh, you know, with the tan costume and everything, I always compare this to a point in which you're going to have, um, uh, what is it, uh, Frank Miller come in, he's going to do his Wolverine limited series, and you're going to have a few more from there. And this is really the era in which Wolverine is going to stand apart from the X-Men, eventually get his own ongoing series, guest star in a whole bunch of other books. I mean, this is just, this is the type of era of the X-Men I love in which they're really letting Logan be like the front and center X-Men for a change. Yeah, and you do kind of get the impression that, sure, maybe Wolverine knew it was a brood cop, but if it wasn't, it would be no big deal. The reader begins <laughs> to question him, and that's why I picked up from this. It's like, oh, this is the era in which you don't always know if he's the good guy. Like, you know he's the good guy, but does he always do it because he knows what's happening or just because he gets lucky because he does his thing and then somehow gets justified later? Yeah, the X-Men question him on that as well. Havoc is yeah. questioning him a couple of times in this, too. Oh, yeah, that becomes a, a sort of a little running storyline of, of these next couple of uh, issues here. But mm -hmm. uh, moving along to X-Men 233, where we learn what an exciting summer it must have been, because during the summer here, now on sale twice a month, they get X-Men every two weeks. Incredible. Which it actually is incredible, because now there's there's a lot of creative teams that can't seem to get a book out every month, every six weeks, every fucking three months, Eric Larson. So it's nice that they, uh, you know, they're, they're pumping these puppies out every every two weeks over the summer for only a dollar each over the summer of uh, summer of 88. what? 88? Wow. Thanks, Reagan. Real cool. <laughs> um, so moving into X-Men number 233, we start off, the X-Men are surrounded by the brood X-Men, and this is where we learn, we learn a few things. We learn that this these brood were specially chosen and infected by Harry because they are also mutants, so that's why he was so interested by that guy who had been breathing fire and why he infected him, because he was a mutant. And then, so now, instead of just affecting regular humans, they're infecting mutants so that they are not just brewed with brood powers, but they are brewed with mutant powers too. So it's, I do always like when they take a villain that's already been established as somewhat of a threat. Sure. They've been defeated in the past uh, because the heroes always win, uh, but you know, they're, they're seen as somewhat of a menace and then find a way to upgrade them in some way, which then makes what otherwise would be a retread storyline. It gives it an added element uh, of danger. What do you guys think? Yeah, totally agree with that. Yeah, I thought, it was, I thought it was a really cool addition to the to the brood. All right, well, we're all 100% correct, so that's that's excellent to, to hear. Um, we also learned something else, that they have very, very lame nicknames, such as Brickbat and Tension. <laughs> what do you think of these fucking horrible... I love when they, they come up with one-off villains, because you know they have just a pile somewhere of just unused, like totally lame names that are specifically that drawer of, of folder. I don't know why they need to be in folders or whatever it is uh, where they pull these names out of. It's clearly just a, 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 a re all reserved for villains that we're just going to use once and then kill because it's always just a series of the lamest names you can ever imagine. It reminds me of that scene from Dodgeball, an American classic, by the way, where um – White is introducing the Globo Gym Purple Cobras, and he's like, Here you've got Laser, Blazer, Razor, Michelle. Razor. Hell of an underrated movie, by the way. Watched it again recently. That holds up. It holds up well. Um, let's see. That This is what, okay, well, during this battle, when they reignite the battle here, uh, we see that one of the mutants, I think it's, it's, the female one whose name I don't recall right now, but she has some sort of mind control abilities too. So not only do they have to deal with these brood mutants, but now they also That's have Psylocke. to deal 
with Psylocke and Rogue. It's, it's and Tempest. Psylocke, and this has happened before in, in, in these early X-Men. I think it was in our very first um very first review of the the Jim Lee's X-Men. It's the situation where like there's like in layers of inception of mind control. Like, so they're now mind controlling Psylocke, but Psylocke herself can mind control. So now we're like layers and layers of mind control at some point. At some point you forget who's, you can't remember who's mind controlling who. You remember that Remzo when it was like Sabretooth was being mind controlled by Psylocke who's being mind controlled by another character. So much. Mind Tell me control. I'm not crazy here. I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm just joyfully at this. I got a little confused because I don't recognize Psylocke without with so many clothes. Her out, that's it should be pointed out how sadly unsexy Psylocke's outfit outfit is. Uh, this is not the Jim Lee era Psylocke at all. I didn't recognize her at first either until she was referred Take to. Take it name. off. She almost Take looks like Spider Woman, off. but with like different colors and also wearing uh, a burqa for some reason. Yeah, I, I was I was going to ask you about that earlier when she, she first showed up in the previous issue. Yeah, she is not really a, she's not really a sex object here in this one. Kids. She this will definitely also, become in the early 90s. This is also one of the worst X-Men lineups I think I've ever seen. Yeah, there is really... There's no... I guess Wolverine is by far the best character here, but there's none. Of, it doesn't really have the classics. All the classics are gone at this point. Is that right? Like we don't yeah. have, I mean, the originals, there's no there's, originals on the team, is there? No, I don't think so. No. Well, at, th- at this point, you've got the X-Men and then you have X-Factor. And so the originals the, are like X-Factor at this point, basically. Yeah, they, they've all gone on to, to be X-Factor. And then you've got kind of like the new young group as the X-Men and it has to do with, you know, the death of Jean Grey, a fallout with Professor X, a disillusionment with Xavier's vision of what, uh, you know, the X-Men should be as they're pushing. Was Magneto a baby yet here? No, Magneto was a hero, but he's like, he wasn't the, he wasn't the leader of the team at this point. So this is in the era between when Storm and Magneto were team leaders. And now it's, I, I think, I think Havoc is in charge of the team right now. Well, he does not act very in charge. He actually acts like a little bit, but no, we'll Havoc is like the worst X-Men leader. Man, was he really the leader here? Cause they really did not make that, that clear. It seems like they're like leaderless. So if he is the leader, he is probably the worst X-Men leader of all time. It is pretty poor. I think we can easily say, um, yeah, anyway, this, so this battle goes, it just goes incredibly awry. Uh, I think storm storm gets a, for some reason, it's all the women that are, that are so easily influenced. Yeah. I wonder why that is. Ooh, pretty pictures. Uh, and then we take this weird, uh, after many, many pages of battle, like I, this battle is like literally half this, uh, half this issue, which I always like, I, I always like too when characters go bad and they get like a little bit of a sexier look on their face. Like, Rogue just, you know, she has a little sultriness about her now that she's being mind controlled and, and gone bad here. Uh, but then about after about like halfway through this issue, we take this interesting turn. We head over to Red Rocks, the amphitheater at Red Rocks, where they're setting. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy and delicious breads, buns and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. For what seems to be some kind of like a, what do they call it? Like a mega church type thing from uh, this Reverend Bill. And we see him where he's, he's talking to his wife uh, and he's kind of like, he's saying nice things about mutants. So you already know the way they're setting this up, that he is going to be saved by mutants later. Spoiler alert, but they make this stuff pretty obvious when a character sort of wistfully thinks about how the mutants are maybe misunderstood. Uh, that person is going to be interacting with mutants, but I was kind of like, what, how are they going to, how are they going to tie this guy in here? What is the point of all this? But this is actually, you know, while I, well, at first I kind of thought it was, stupid um this is very very much a hallmark of chris chris claremont while we'll, we'll, we'll see where this goes by the end of this little run but he does always try to work in the human aspect and show the interactions between x-men and mutants and then show how the world and different people in the world react to to that interaction so that's clearly what he's setting up here even though it seems seems very out of place when it when it first comes into the story that's what I always liked about the X-Men. It's these early stories that remind me of that. It's like it, they don't live in a world that's in a vacuum. It's like where the Avengers, you very rarely had them have a story where it's like, what's the impact or the relationship between the Avengers and the regular world? I mean, other than a Henry Peter Gyrick 
who also appears in the X-Men, but he, at one point he's the Avengers liaison. I think the Avengers West Coast liaison. You get this a little bit with the Fantastic Four, especially when it was like, you know, they uh, they couldn't pay their rent, so they get kicked out of the Baxter building and stuff like that. But otherwise, it's like all the other heroes are almost just always accepted, whereas it's like the X-Men, there's always problems. There's always something political about it in which they're having to fight for their own justification. Right. And uh, as the scene wraps up with Reverend Bill, he kind of uh, kind of wishes that he was a, a mutant. Like he, he says, sometimes I think I should, maybe I should pray to be a mutant, pray for mutant powers so that I could heal you of your. Isn't it? You guys think it's was our was arthritis a big thing in, in the 80s? Like of all diseases they could choose, like you would think they'd choose. I don't know. Cancer. A, maybe they didn't give want to want to get the reverend's wife AIDS, but cancer. I don't know, like any tuberculosis. I don't know. I just thought it was kind of not not to downplay anyone suffering from arthritis. I thought it was just a kind of an odd choice to be presenting uh, Bill with his existential crisis about being a mutant because his wife is a little sore in the morning. Again, not to play not to downplay. Well, she couldn't pour him coffee. I mean, that's true, good, and that, and that ruins Bill's whole day. Get a new and, wife. And how can you mega church when you don't have your caffeine? Right, I mean, it's, it's kind of like Oregon Trail. Oh, I have dysentery now. Oh, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we then head back to Denver, where these mutants are just tearing the city apart. And you know, it's mutants versus aliens to us, but to to the rest of the world, uh, to everybody watching on TV, it's mutants versus mutants. You know, they just see a bunch of mutants and monsters fighting. So uh, to them, it's all mutants. Uh, along the way here, Storm actually uh, saves an, a full airplane of people. So even in the midst of this battle versus these mutant aliens, Storm is able to go out of her way and save an airplane. Why? Because that's what, that's what mutants do. And that's how they, uh, you know, that's, how, that's what Chris Claremont, again, another thing he would always sort of sneak in. He would always make sure that you knew the X-Men weren't just battling some enemy like you might see a lot of superheroes just bat, you know you might see a lot of man of steel type stuff where we destroy a whole city and whatever it's just it's just background noise but the x-men would always i think this is kind of a hallmark of spider-man too half the time they're fighting the villain but they're also like always having to jump out of the battle to save all the innocent bystanders that might be getting caught up in things along the way so i do, I do think that it is a nice little touch to, to throw in there to remind us what makes these x-men different from these other alien mutants that they're fighting yeah, she got knocked out for, uh, you know, for helping out. Yeah, I mean, uh, it didn't really pay off. Um, it didn't pay out for her. <laughs> no, but we then cut back to what they're calling God's country, which I guess is, they call Australia God's country. Is that a thing? Um, to Madeline Pryor, who is just, or maybe God's country is inside her fucking mind because she is she is completely insane here. She's flying around. She basically has angel's wings. She sees her man, Scott, and their little baby. And they get, I do like, it's kind of like reminds me of uh, manga comic books. They do kind of, do these squiggly lines around the panels just to like let you know, hey, this is a dream. This is different than the normal panels you're seeing. Kind of like how manga will do all black outlines if something is a, is a flashback. Um, she sees Gateway in her dreams, and it's almost like it's almost like Gateway is the one real thing in her dreams because Gateway kind of traverses dimensions and such. So it's almost like he's like popping into the dream just to like see what this fucking crazy chick that he's watching over for some reason is doing. This is where things get absolutely insane. Um, we see like five versions of Cyclops as Scott turns into Cyclops and is blasting uh, this this Jean Grey, this body, this other character, which is like a, a mannequin, basically. And then Scott goes up to this mannequin and starts making out with it. Or what I call it a mannequin. It looks like a mannequin. It's like a faceless body. Starts making out with it as Madeline Pryor is just totally freaked out. And then... And then Cyclops is like, oh, you're only human. And she starts taking the features of Madeline Pryor. This is actually gets a lot of at first when I read this, I was like, what the fuck? But yeah, Chris Claremont should get a lot of points for the creativity that, that he put in this scene. He starts plucking Madeline Pryor's facial features off her eyes, her lips, her nose, her hair, and putting them on Mr. Potato Head style onto this other body and essentially recreating it into Jean Grey, who is, of course, the actual love of his life. Um, and then he goes off with her and leaves poor. Now she, he leaves is Madeline Pryor as a featureless mannequin just wandering through the desert. What a fucking horrifying dream. <laughs> you know what, though? That's basically what Scott does. And that's what he does in real life. That's, that, this that's only, thing this, this only reminds me, if I ever needed real one, life. because I don't think I ever did, that Cyclops is the douchiest character ever in the X-Men. In Marvel, he is the douchiest character. 
And he's never contrite. He never thinks he did anything wrong. He never is. He's hardly ever apologetic. And if he is, it's very much just like, anyway, whatever. I'm going to go talk to Emma Frost now. Um, he he's, And he's all, is this intentional? Because, I mean, he's essentially always been written as this shitty character to the point, like, you almost got to wonder if it's an inside joke at Marvel. Like, what kind of douchebag are we going to make him? Well, this well this is why I loved the ultimate version of Cyclops and the ultimate comics, because he's basically the same thing, except they, ge- they give him a redeeming factor in which they kill him eventually. Well, that is redeeming. Too bad. It didn't and last they keep him dead. Long. He's back now, right? Or is it still teenage? Oh, no, he's dead. Cyclops is dead again? No, in the Ultimate comics. Oh, in the Ultimates. Yeah, well, every, everyone's dead. In, all, in, all, in, uh, in Ultimatum issue five, they take him out JFK style. <laughs> and then maybe, he just stays I, dead. Maybe I'll read just that one issue. Just that one panel. It's all you need to take away. They kill everyone, but they especially kill Cyclops. Uh, we do head back to our, our battle here. And this is when the X-Men kind of... They, they kind of take the gloves off here. Um, Colossus finally deposes of the one called Brickbat, thankfully, much to my uh, much to my my pleasure. Um, and this is where Alex kills a brood and uh, he, he feels really bad about it. And they're all just like, hey, dude, it's an alien. It's don't worry about it. He's going to kill you. It's not your thing. But then this brood turns back into the human and is kind of like like dying as a human. So then then Alex refills bad again. And then we basically have the same conversation yet again, <laughs> like twice in two pages. Like, don't feel bad he was already dead and then storm makes what i is a pretty good point he's like this guy died the second the brood infected him so you didn't kill this guy you just killed this alien brood so don't worry about it um and uh yeah this issue ends with uh they but they're you know as they sort of seemingly defeat um these current brood that they're battling storm also has the revelation oh and by the way uh, Wolverine was uh, impregnated with a with a brood egg in the midst of this battle. So something to keep in mind here. As the, and they have taken, um, I think they've taken. I think Rogue took Wolverine away. So now their concern is, well, shit. Now there's like brood eggs out there, and they're just going to keep infecting the Earth. And now that they have got this idea to infect mutants, we are doomed. And which is literally what what Storm says, wrapping up this issue. The Earth is doomed. Not the not the most cheerful way to wrap up the, the second issue of this one. Uh, thoughts, gentlemen. Dude, I, I when I think of like what potential alien invasions are like, it's always something like this. Like they never have humanity's, um, you know, go, you know, best intentions at heart. They're always just here to like kill us and stuff like this. You know, why is it? Why is it the, yeah. I mean, why is it the X-Men always have to deal with like the living aliens and stuff, whereas the Avengers are always fighting like robots and things? It's like, you know, well, Professor X gets to go off and bang an alien. Yeah, I mean, Professor X, he just gets to do what he wants while they're dealing with this. It's like, so where I feel is he bad now? for the where X-Men. is Professor X right now? He's just not dealing with it anymore. He's over he's, it. I think he's, I think he's with the Shi'ar. I think he's uh, with Liara and the Shi'ar. Oh, this Empire. is for like the yeah. There's like years where he's just living in space, like, have, just, like having alien sex. Yeah, right. he can well, walk good again. For him. So he's just walking around banging. I, I don't know All if he has a six pack yet. Fighting aliens? <laughs> no, he doesn't have the six pack yet. He doesn't have the six pack. He's not fascist yet. Uh, we're going to move on to Uncanny X-Men number 234. Before I dive into the issue, what a badass cover on this one, huh, fellas? Hell yeah. This is one of my all-time favorite covers. Yeah, it, it's so cool. Uh, this one shows, in in classic Sylvester style, shows Wolverine kind of like morphing into a brood. with He has like kind of a brood-esque face. Holding up. And it's, oh, yeah, that would be helpful. Thank you, visual expert. There it is. Come on. Sue us, Marvel. Tell us to take down this this cover that we're profiting so much from. Uh, so diving into the uh, the ultimate chapter here of this little brood invasion, X-Men v. the Brood. And uh, shit is going down at w- w- the Mile High Diner as uh, this battle rages into the in, from the streets uh, into the diner as Dazzler is ba- battling. Here's another one. Another. I- I'm trying to decide what is the lamest name of these broods, broods. My leading candidate is Brickbat, but I think we have a strong contender in Whip Hand. What do you guys think of Whip Hand? <laughs> Whip Hand wins the dumb name competition. Whip Hand. Uh, you'll never guess what what his power is. Uh, does he have uh, laser eyes? <laughs> what is it, Remzo? Whipping his hand. No, but what is it? It's a one's abuse and one is a oh one yeah and abuse discipline abuse. There you go. Discipline. Abuse. I'm not sure which one Whip Hand does, but uh, yeah, that's his power. Abuse. He, 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 I'm not kidding. I've only all I've seen him do is hit people and say he's he's Whip Hand. So um, and then um, 
whoever is using this the psychic powers seems to like turn the whole diner. Um, it seems they're being psychic, psychically controlled at this point too, because the, the whole diner kind of like turns against the X Men too here. So they're just dealing with some shit. Um, when who comes in here? Fucking long shot. Long shot dives in here. Um, we also see one of these guys, um, who one of these like broods who is uh, who's almost. I was cheering him on, about to kill long shot. When again, I told you the gloves are off now. Colossus comes from behind him and snaps his motherfucking neck. This is a violent X-Men. This is the kind of violence I don't recall seeing from the X-Men that I saw that I read in the 90s. This is is a lot different. This is very much the X-Men. Now now think about it. They're without their regular leader, Scott. They're without their Their moral authority, Professor X. And they're in a world that has become increasingly violent. You can straight up see a stark difference between the X-Men after days of future past in which they're really shown a vision of what like a true existential crisis is. And you can compare that to the X-Men stories of the past and the X-Men stories coming further. They always dealt with extinction, with violence, with the Sentinels and all that shit. But now they're at the point where this is the X-Men who are a lot more morally gray Fighting to survive in most cases, none of the other heroes, really none of the other characters in the MCU have to deal with this. So it used to be, well, the alien might have a consciousness. Now it's like, fuck this evil cicada thing. In the next scene, I think we have a new contender. It might not be as lame a name, but this is the way it plays out. We find out we find one of them is named Blindside. And uh, guess what his power seems to be? Um, he's going to come up on your blind side and attack you. That does literally always see him do. He tries to come up behind Longshot, and that's what makes his name Blindside. Anyway, Storm kills him uh, with, with a lightning bolt. Another one's name is Spitball. Like, where are they getting these names? These are from, like, the recycled uh, Was shitty. Bebop and Rocksteady unavailable? Bebop and Rocksteady are awesome names and awesome <laughs> characters, so don't you dare. Did, this is another scene. Maybe you guys can explain what the fuck happened here. The scene... Ends. They have this huge battle. The diner is destroyed. And then for some reason we see that maybe it's just to try to be funny because this couple was like talking before the shit went down. It just shows this couple like kissing. And then we moved on to the next scene. Yeah, they were making out at the start of the uh, the book. So it's just supposed to be like funny, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll appreciate the attempted humor, I guess. It's just a little toss a little humanity in there for me. That's fine. So they got lightened up. It's pretty heavy, uh pretty heavy action. Uh we then head back to this strange facility in the outback where you guessed it who's tripping on who's just tripping her balls so madeline Pryor was just completely insane and, and lost her mind i guess um or, or we'll find out i think there are like you mentioned that she is actually being controlled and manipulated by uh, mr sinister as we'll find out down the road here but gateway is just chilling with her and what's confusing to me too like like it seems like her dreams are we're being seen on the are on these monitors. So is this all in her mind and on these monitors? Like, what is? Why do we see what's in her mind on the monitors? Do you guys she, understand? She's this projecting it onto the monitors so Gateway yeah. can see it. I think it's more so done for the service of the reader than yeah. it is the characters. It's themselves. done for the confusion of the reader for for me because uh, I could just see what's happening in her mind in dream sequence style. So whatever, I don't really understand it. But yeah, she not she she knocked herself out when she punched the monitor. So she's unconscious right now. But why is it on the monitors in the first place? Is it because she's her reader service? She's projecting it to herself, but thinks in her mind she's seeing it, not just Mm -hmm. projecting it. Okay. And Gateway's just being a creep, hanging out, watching. Well, it's nice that still the the movie's still playing while she's there, knocked out. But uh, we go back. I I didn't actually before this. Just side note: I I knew Gateway because he was part of Nick Fury's Secret Warriors. So when I saw him here, I'm like, "What's he doing here?" Because I looked at it between when. Between like, you know, this arc and when Secret Warrior or I think it was Mighty Avengers, which was when um, the Secret Warriors were introduced during the Secret Invasion in 2007. Um, he takes like a 20 year hiatus. Yeah, just, he's not around for a while. He wild. was around in the early 90s. And then I think he just, they just forgot about him. He went through a portal and then yeah. came back. Nick Fury's recruiting all the people where it's like, yeah, I need somebody. 
Hey, he's not they, on the X Men right they now. They have a drawer of people of like you know heroes and villains that haven't been used in twenty what years. What about Blindside? I mean, Is he available? <laughs> that's what I would do. Like if I if I if a comic company brought me on for whatever reason was like we're going to give you any book you could you could take. I would just research the ten most obscure characters and and pick one of them and write a whole new story from scratch from and get, add depth to that character. I would not want to take over a Spider Man or a Superman or a Batman or anything like that. I would want to go dive deep because then then you can't fuck. Something up, you know. You can't piss off longtime fans if you're taking a character. No one like it's. it's I'd be Tom King with like, Kite Man. That's essentially what I would be. I was, I was or just James Gunn with Creature Commandos. King. Or I'd be yeah, I'd be James Gunn with Creature Commandos. Sorry, Eric. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say Tom King. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's not what I would do. Actually, maybe these are maybe maybe it may be uh, Batman. It is then in that case. Creature anyway, Commandos. we'll find out when that offer comes, kids. Uh, but we move on to see. Go back into Madeline Pryor's dream. She's naked now, but she's also a weird uh, mannequin chick, faceless mannequin chick. So she got that going for her. Uh, the, the desert sun is literally starts melting her mannequinness away to reveal her back to her normal self, it seems, when she trips on some kind of bull skull of some kind. Falls down to this water where she's greeted by this big purple ogre thing. So that's interesting. Uh, named Sim S apostrophe Y M, and uh, we learn that Sim is not really real. He is just a product of her imagination. Uh, thank God, because I don't think we need to ever see this character again. He seems to be sort of like a friendly character at first, just kind of like this goofy little purple dragon type thing, kind of guiding her along in, in her own little dream world here. Uh, but then she like sees herself in her finger in his fingernail his shiny fingernail and sees kind of like what is like an evil scary version of herself uh staring back at her and he just says um you know he she says well this is only a dream and he says wrong there are no dreams only different shapes different orders different tastes of reality and you've just bound yourself to mine and then we see her on the ground now she's in her sexy leather and now she has this purple purple cape which i guess is signifying this sim character binding to her uh, Eric, can you tell me what's going on here as the as a resident Claremont era X Men expert, or are you also before? So, it, so I think what's going on here is <laughs> the so the demon's real. This this character is recurring. Yeah, when they tell you uh, they're a figment of your imagination, they're real. If they tell you they're real, they're probably a figment of your imagination. That's how. Yeah, so he's he's he appears multiple times in multiple books. I think he appears in Inferno and. New X Men era, not New X Men. He appears in um, New Mutants. The New Mutants. Yeah, thank you. All the time. Um, so I think what's going on here is he's just kind of turning her into the dark side once again. Um, when she goes into the black costume, she's back into the Goblin Queen. Um, so I think that's what's going on here. He's just kind of pushing her further into the delusion and kind of binding binding her to him. All right, I can buy that for a dollar. I dig it. We then head over back to Red Rocks with a uh, good old Reverend Bill, who is about to uh, do his superstar evangelist stuff when Rogue flies in with uh, Wolverine and is that, is that Dazzler? He's she's holding. She's holding. I think it's Temptress. Tem- oh yeah, the Temptress. This is one of the other lame ass uh, alien <laughs> broods, and the mind controlled Rogue. Uh, when when they're flying, the knocked out Wolverine. They always do this. These characters just think Wolverine's in whatever state he's going to be in and always forget, oh, healing factor. So this is going to change. So Wolverine wakes up and kills her just in midair. And then, but as a result, uh, the mind-controlled rogue does lets him sort of just fall. But again, he's Wolverine, so we're, we're not concerned. We know he's going to be okay. Kenny uh, always returns. We then see the brood are now in a car. They're in a cop car just driving down the street, uh, being broods, uh, holding uh, Psylocke captive when they run into Cy- uh, Colossus. And uh, Colossus Smash is my notes here. They even say Smash. They even show the word Smash in the panel here as Colossus uh, just smashes this car uh, to shreds. Uh, the battle has now pretty much entirely spilled over into uh, Reverend Bill's kind of uh, you know little, little church, little amphitheater, Red Rocks church thing here. And uh, 
let's see as as wolverine shows up to uh to reverend bill he kind of like stumbles his way into the stadium in the middle of this whole thing and reverend bill co- comes up to him he's like you know kind of wants to like help him and he looks up and sees him turning into a brood this is kind of what we were getting on the cover a little bit here but just as it's happening and just as the brood arms are coming out about about to attack reverend bill suddenly you see the brood yelling no not now and not so close to victory and he just retracts and turns back into wolverine because of course wolverines which is was pretty easy to predict they've been reading x-men for a while once you see that cover you realize yeah he's gonna start turning into a brood and the healing factor will kick in nonetheless as predictable as it as it might have been i i enjoyed it as i often well with, with was it the healing factor or did you find jesus mark or did Reverend Bill heal him as Reverend Bill will will believe that he did? So it could hey, maybe it's a little from column A, a little from column B, a little healing factor with a little bit of the Jesus, perhaps. That's right. Um, so yeah, the healing factor kicks in just in time. And then at, just as Reverend Bill is about to kill, uh, is about to get killed by another brood. Havoc just blasts him at this one's named tension, by the way, uh, tension we met in the beginning and, uh, kills another brood and once again, feels bad about it. <laughs> so th- this is this is the entirety of Havoc's leadership is he does kill the bad guy, but then he whines and complains about how bad he feels killing the big bad blue. Scott would have just been like, okay, next one. <laughs> <laughs> Havoc, Havoc even looks like a puss in that in that picture in that uh, frame. But we then realized that we have had yet another false finish here. That is not it. Now Harry, our original evil brood that got infected by the brood from the giant flying shark that we still can't figure out why it was landing in the middle of the woods in Colorado. Harry now has Reverend Bill's wife. Uh for like a second he was pretending to it seemed like he was a uh, I know that happens later. He pretends to be human, right? Right to try to get to Wolverine, not to kill him. Um, and then Wolverine kind of like claw crawls underneath the uh, the stage and pops out from behind uh, to take out Harry. And then he kind of puts his fist right up to uh, to Harry's chin. And this is where Harry returns like into like his human form and tries to beg off, tries to uh, you know kind of act like, oh no, it's just me, the human Harry. Why are you after me? Why are you trying to kill me? Uh, but Wolverine isn't really having that. And then I kind of like how they did this. The death of Harry is off camera. We just hear the snicked, and then we we move on, and we all just kind of know what happens, you know. And this is a this is a a run that's already shown us some deaths. I mean, we saw Colossus snap a guy's neck, so it's not like we needed the violence to be seen necessarily, and it's not like they're afraid to show us the violence. But I think in this case, it actually is kind of more effective that we didn't we didn't need to see Wolverine's um you know Wolverine's claws going through poor Harry's head. We knew it happened, and we whatever whatever we might envision from that is probably uh, more vile than whatever they would show us in the comic. You know what was really shocking about this um, this issue is how they just killed fan favorites like Brick Bat and Tension. <laughs> and Whip Hand? <laughs> Whip Hand is what really, really upset. Well, his brother, Pimp Hands, will come back later and seek revenge. <laughs> just like an episode of The Walking Dead, just fan favorites just snuffed out like that. That'll be uh, SBC's first contribution to the comic world. Whip Hand. <laughs> Pimp Hand, I mean. Pimp Hand, the brood. Um, not only is that that in the uh, not only is the brood defeated, which is nice, um, but in the aftermath math we learn that um, Reverend Bill's wife's arthritis is cured, and Reverend Bill wonders to himself, could it be? First that stranger, now Hannah has the Lord granted me some kind of healing power, so now he's actually wondering. We're left to wonder: Is Bill guided by the hand of God? Is Bill actually developed some kind of healing power? And they just kind of leave that open ended for us, but not before Bill. And when asked by reporters, um, he's they are saying, "What happened? There's all this destruction from all these mutants, and this is where it does tie back in together, very Claremont style, where Bill, Bill goes on uh, basically a whole. Uh, this is his, his his end of Captain Winter Soldier." Uh, screed without without uh the wokeness really and he just goes on to praise the x-men and call for a brighter future when we all work together and such as we often get with this stuff and that pretty much ends our episode and and um and then we end we we we, we got to fin- finish off with one more argument between um havoc and wolverine about killing and if you should kill people and if you should be happy you kill people and stuff like that um and then we pan out and we see that madeline Pryor is on the ground here but we're seeing this is where i still don't get the screen thing like it, why is she projecting this isn't even a newscast like first it was the newscast but now it's it's havoc and wolverine arguing all on these screens or is this like the x-men's weird monitoring system put in by gateway maybe i don't know i'm confused by the whole thing here but anyway it ends with madeline Pryor um pass out on the ground and we'll see what what becomes of her so 
I still don't understand what goes on with the facility and the screens and, and Madeline Platt prior and, and Gateway's role or, or what have you. I guess Gateway is like a security guy at this point, pretty much. He's just professionally unemployed. All right. Well, it's time for grades, folks. So, um, Eric, you want to join in on grades with us? Sure, I would I don't do know my if best. They'll count in your official in our official SPC canon, but uh, well, as I mentioned last time, I'm not a professional, that's so true. I'll leave that up to you guys. But I'm more than happy to give my opinion. Well, why don't we start with your opinion then? How would you grade this as a as a uh, as if you were a professional? Try to put yourself in the in the <clears throat> boots. It's hefty, but we believe in you, Eric. If I were a professional, <laughs> I would probably give the writing on this uh, probably a three out of five. I thought it was pretty good. Um, story kind of flowed, quick read, uh, ver- lots of action. Um, a lot of it didn't make any sense. Um, I just want an explanation for the shark and for Rogue being on the bus. The shark, plus there was a lot of uh, a lot of backstory you needed to know. Um, oh, yeah, the Madeline Pryor stuff. I mean, even if you know the backstory and have someone here to walk you through it and hold your hand, it's still confusing and weird. It was, it was very confusing uh, throughout these three, and I, I know – I know my X-Men fairly well. Um, so I'll give the, I'll give the writing a three, um, for the art, I'll probably give it the same amount, um, a three. Wow. Um, I thought the art was, was the covers on these far outweigh the interior art. Um, for there sure. were a couple of panels in here I thought were a little sloppy, um, could have been done a little bit better, expect better out of Mark Silvestri, um, than some of these panels. So give it a six out of 10. Wow. I'm, I'm shockingly low for such a, a nostalgia pick from you. So, uh, let's oh, well, I mean, around. there's a, you know, nostalgia, I'd give it a couple more points, but you know, no, nah, it's good. I, I like, I'm I'm being like honest, a critical hat on if I'm being honest to the readers. All right. Well, let's go to someone who will not be influenced by nostalgia because they were not even twinkles in the eyes of semen at this point. Uh, Remzo, what are your thoughts on this book from, from what a decade before you were a I'm, twinkle? In I'm going to go ahead and give this, uh, you know, a few points more narrowly than, uh, than Eric did. I'm, I'm going to agree that the story is a three and I don't mean that in a bad way. You know, um, it takes a, you know, is, is this good for new readers? No, because there is so much backstory. I even think that the Madeline Pryor subplot somewhat gets in the way of a lot of the action. It's a bit jarring going from one thing to another. It's not like they break it off in sections. It's kind of just inter- interwoven throughout the stories for these issues. But, you know, I love the action. I love the stuff with the brood. Simple, you know, Hollywood B-horror. This is a Friday night you know, monster movie type of thing, alien invasion type of deal, invasion of the body snatchers. I always like this type of shit. I, I love it. So I'm going to give it a three out of five for the artwork. I, I do really like the artwork. I'm not a fan of all the renderings of the characters like Psylocke needs less clothes, but um, this is one of my favorite uh, versions of Wolverine's costume. I do really like how they make everyone else look. I like the team. Uh, everyone looks good in the action scenes. They actually are good at drawing a scenery of the world of the destruction and everything. So I'm going to go ahead and give this a 3.5. So I'm going to go ahead and give it a uh, 6.5 out of 10. So just a tick higher than Eric. Interesting. 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 Well, Hmm. You know, I'm trying to do that thing where I had ideas in my head and then trying not to be influenced by you guys too much, but also to take into account what you're all saying. And uh, you know, I, I, on, on first, I, th- I think at the end of the day, I'm going to end up at the three on the writing too, because I actually think that there are some really good qualities about this stuff. Um, the just, just really the way that Chris Claremont handles um, these interactions that the X Men have with regular humans. He always works in to these stories the humanity of the people, the humanity of the X Men. That aspect is always there. It's never just a battle. It's never just a fight. Um, there's always the the that aspect of it. And he does really well on that here, um, which would put it a tick higher of like the average fare for this time period. I would say, however. The Madeline Pryor stuff is very confusing, very distracting. You could figure out the brood stuff, even if you had never heard the brood. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. They're aliens that inhabit bodies. Now they're inhabiting mutants. So this is a bigger threat. That's totally good. But the fact that literally about a third of this is dedicated to Madeline Pryor's trippy, trippy, like uh, dream sequences and this weird sim fucking purple dragon and gateway. And none of it's ever explained. In fact, we don't even get the usual Marvel, Marvel, like, hey, for editor's note to, to figure this out, go read this issue. I don't think we saw that at all. So that would be very confusing. Fuck you, um, true believers. Figure it out. Yeah. Uh, go fuck yourself, true believers. Uh, just send money. We're doing twice twice as many X-Men issues this summer. Give us your money. Catch up. But uh, so, 
So yeah, I'm going to wind up on a three for the writing as well for for those reasons. There are reasons I think I would ha- maybe have it a three, f- three, five, or maybe even a four if it was just this brood story, maybe in a more fleshed out way. But inserting that that Madeline Pryor stuff, it took up too much of this to not factor that in in a negative way. So we're going to go down to a three for the writing. And <laughs> like this is not, this is Mark Silvestri. So I, I'm probably biased a little bit in thinking, oh, it's Mark Silvestri. And the, the his art is very good here, but I don't think he's peaked yet. I think this is before he's really the Mark Silvestri that we know and love. Uh, you see it in his, the cover with Wolverine. Uh, that kind of cover becomes what he does all the time with his art eventually, especially when he goes over to Image and really dives into the darkness book and everything. So while I'm a little biased towards Mark Silvestri, this isn't quite that Mark Silvestri. He's very good. I'll give the art a 3.5 but peak Sylvester could be a 4.5 so he's, he's yeah. not that but so I guess I'll come to a 6.5 total myself so between uh, for, I think for all of us we're actually around the same realm and a Sunday read right this yeah. is all Sunday read it's inoffensive if you're into like learning about older books and seeing those older styles I think this is a pretty good representation uh, random story of the, the Claremont area to take, to take a dip into including the Madeline Pryor weirdness because that's part of the era so it, it gives you a flavor of that too yeah I dig it all right. Well, what else? What else, Ramso? You're the housekeeper around here because you're Folks, the Puerto Rican. If you want to go ahead and do what you do best, which is mowing lawns and taking care of the stuff that other people, other you people, do whoever they are, don't want to do, go ahead and go ahead and check us out. Patreon.com slash second print pod. You can go ahead and produce episodes of the show just like our buddy Eric does. And you get so much more. We went ahead and uh, brought back the degenerate panel. Uh, we have Remzo versus the DCEU. I'm almost done with that series. And- I just read Turok Dinosaur Hunter number one for you guys in Tales from the Fucket Pile. So if you want more of all of that, go ahead and support the show at patreon.com slash second print pod. Remember, a five-star review gets you really nothing, but it makes you feel good. It makes us and happy. makes us really happy. So go ahead and hit up any podcatcher of choice. And uh, remember, if there's nothing else you could do, it's short, sweet, to the point, way easier to get infected by a brood. It's read comics and change the world. Change the world. Good night, America. Adios. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.